we've made our way in our study uh, to in the book of Revelation to chapter 14, which is where we'll uh, pick up our, our study today. And um, there's a lot in here. There's um, this section about these 144,000 that I'm sure if you've been in the church for longer than probably 30 seconds, you're... <laughs> in your lifetime, uh, you might have heard something about these 144,000. So we're going to talk about them a little bit today as well. And uh, just everything that's going on here uh, in this chapter 14. We may, if time will allow, um, get into chapter 15 just briefly um, because it, it's tied together. Once again, these numbers... Um, and chapter headings and all that kind of stuff are put there so that we can find stuff. You, you realize that. Uh, and so um, uh, everything's tied together. So you, we need to be reading our Bibles in, read, them, read it in context, read it in context. So uh, I want to read through chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to open them up or turn them on, however you do that. Um, and we'll start reading in uh, Revelation chapter 14. We'll read the whole chapter <clears throat> and then come back and, and look at this and, uh, and try to figure out, uh, you know, just what in heaven's name is really going on here. Um, and um, hopefully it'll help us not look at the book of Revelation and the things that will be happening with a negative and uh, defeatist mentality uh, because it's actually a time of great victory. Amen? Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's look at this together and then uh, we'll, hopefully the Holy Spirit will help us uh, to make sense out of this. So I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version and starting with verse 1 it says, Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb with the 144,000 who had His name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000, who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who, have fo who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. 
And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar. The angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great, great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. And we pray that God would honor the reading of His Word. Amen. So <clears throat> we've got this um, incredibly interesting uh, thing that's happening here. And uh, I have to take a moment here and remind us of something. Um, all of these events that we're seeing now are stemming from or coming out of this seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet actually happened back in chapter 11. There's been a lot of things, a lot of visions, a lot of information from Revelation 11, and it's found in verses 15 through 19. And just for reference sake, let me read this to, to remind us what we're dealing with here. Uh, in Revelation 11, 15 through 19, it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to You, O Lord, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for You have taken Your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but Your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged, and the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So... Uh, this happened back in 
11. And since then, we've had a lot of, uh, of information. We've had uh, this uh, beat, all these beasts, uh, and, and this woman and this sign in heaven, this woman who gives birth to the Messiah, and the dragon who's coming and trying to kill the woman, which we understand to be Israel, and the earth opens up and saves the woman, and Satan is cast down to earth, and all of these visions of all this stuff going on is happening at the sound of this seventh trumpet. And if you forget that, that issue or that point, then when you get to chapter 14, it's, it kind of feels a little disjointed and you miss something really important. So it's the sounding of the seventh trumpet and chapter 14. In other words, all this stuff is included. You, you, you following with me when I say that? And so it says, John is seeing these visions. And at the start of chapter 14, he says, Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, you've got these visions and this stuff that is going on. But then the one thing that we, our eyes should all of a sudden go towards is the throne is seen. Jesus is seen standing on Mount Zion. There's all these proclamations going out and he's got this vast army around him of his believers and especially these 144,000. Now that's good news, amen? In the midst of all of this, in the midst of all this chaos and hatred and just death and destruction, these weird things going on, the one thing that we do see happening is that in the, even though all of that is happening, our Savior, Yeshua, is on His throne. And His saints are all around Him. And it is an amazing story as we unfold this. In other words, what is the deal with these 144,000? I, I want to cover a few other things so that I make sure I have time to deal with this first. So I want to come back to that, if that's okay. Uh, one thing I want us to see before we tackle the 144,000 and the significance of it, because it's, it's really cool. Um, I want you to notice here that uh, these 144,000 are there worshiping God. They are singing a song that only they know. No one else can even learn it. You have to kind of let that sink in for a second. Their job is to worship the king in heaven, but something else has also happened. Their job is to is to worship Him. And all of that is happening. And then in verse 6 it says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead. So as we march through this chapter, we find out that Jesus is there with this massive army around Him. He's on Mount Zion. The debate is, is it literal in Jerusalem or in heaven? We're not going to worry with that one this morning. Uh, the issue is he's there. John is seeing this. He has this army around him. And all of that is going on. And then simultaneously, there are six angels that are 
talked about in this one chapter that bring these proclamations about the earth that needs to be reaped. Um, and it says that the, this angel comes in verse 6, and he says that he has an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. And this, I, w- I want you to see this because this is critical in understanding, quite honestly, your, your Bible. All of it. From start to finish. This, this is proclaimed over and over and over again, but at, at this moment, this angel is making a big deal out of this. Because the, the, the battle that we see in Revelation is over a central issue. And you should know this by now, those of you that have been coming. The central issue is, who is God? Who is He? Is He one of many? Or is He unique? And what is it that makes Him unique? Well, you're going to see this. This eternal, and it says that it's an eternal gospel. Even though he's saying it to those who are dwelling on the earth, he's making a proclamation to those that are still alive on the earth. But he says this is an eternal gospel. The the gospel means that it's a good message. Okay? And so what is the eternal good message that this angel proclaims to everyone? Here's what he says. Fear God and give Him glory. We need to fear God and give Him glory. Meaning, for those of us that are believers, and in Psalms it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, it doesn't mean that you're cowering down in fear like He's going to kill you, but you do need to know that He can if He wants to. And that He's holy. And He's not your buddy. He's God who is above all things, all beings. That's why it says, fear God and give Him glory. It's kind of like saying, you need to stop messing around. You, you don't understand. He's God. <laughs> he loves you. He wants people to be saved, but don't forget this one fact. He's God and He's holy. He don't play games. He doesn't renegotiate. He said it. That's it. He's God. And so He says, fear God and give Him glory. And then he look at what He says, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him. So it's like, you need to remember... <clears throat> His judgment has come. This is, he's speaking to those that are on the earth at that time. But we need to pay attention to it now. Amen? Y'all don't make me do this by myself. We need, okay. So, um, he says, we need to fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. And he goes, and worship Him. Now look at this. This is the key to understanding your Bible. It is a fundamental key. And you're going to think this is very simple, but it is not. It is huge. He says, worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Everybody, all these other gods want to ascend and be like God. But everything except God was created by God. 
This is so fundamental. This is why over and over and over again, this phrase is used throughout your Bible. And there's another phrase that's used, which is the actual meaning of God's name, who was and is and is to come. He's always been, He is now, and He will always be. And there's another way to interpret that whole thing. It can also say that He will be what He will be when He wants to be it. And that's why that is used over and over and over again. And folks, that's the meaning of his name in the Hebrew letters, yod Hey vav Hey, And we now know it's without doubt how to actually pronounce it, and it's Yahovah. There is mounting huge manuscript evidence that the actual correct pronunciation of it is Yahovah. Now, why is that so important? Because it says all those who call upon the name of and then in your Bible it says, the Lord shall be saved. It's been hidden from you. And you look in your Bible and the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is there to tell you that in the Bible, in the original language, it's yod heh vav -Heh. But the rabbis said we shouldn't pronounce it, so they started hiding the vowels so that it would become unpronounceable. But they didn't hide it everywhere. And it's now coming out. And it talks about that at the end of the time, the Gentiles, us, and the world, and the Jewish people, Israel, will call upon Yahovah Himself, that we will praise His name. And we're not going to praise the Lord, because that word is the same word as Baal which means master. That's all it means. That's a title. So why is all that so important? Because he's making a declaration that he is different from all the other gods. And in the midst of this battle, that's what the battle is over. If God is really God, and if any other being or so-called demigod can stop God from doing what He said He was going to do. Because if they can do that, you've heard me say this before, if they can do that on the smallest level, they can prove that God's not God, right? So God has been telling us that this is the issue, and there's so many things in the Bible that's cyclical for a reason so that we can see it from the very beginning. This is one of those areas. I'm gonna, i got to go on before I, before I jump off on that because there's some things in here that are really cool. It says this other angel says, you know, that Babylon is fallen, Babylon the Great. In other words, it, it's already happened. Judgment has been passed. This is a done deal. All of this evil in the world has actually already been judged. It's just a matter of time for it to all be fleshed out. Um. But then he makes a statement here, this other angel in verse 9, and this is, uh, well, big. He says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or his hand, well, you're doomed. Meaning if you do that, uh, there's no chance for salvation. It's over. And I want you to notice here that it doesn't make it, it doesn't say, um, 
But if you have a proper belief system, you'll still you'll be able to bypass that. You'll get a second chance. Does Satan believe that God is real? Do any of his demons believe that God is real? Do they have the offering or the opportunity to be saved? So their belief system doesn't matter, does it? You can believe that God's real and not get into heaven. You can believe that Yeshua is the Son of God and not get into heaven. You can believe it's a fact. Your simple belief system is not what is going to get you in. It's if you are committed to Him and that He is your Lord, God, and King, and you're living your life accordingly. Those two go hand in hand. They can't be separate. And especially in Western America and in Western Christianity, we've turned it into just a belief system. If you'll just say this and say these words and, you, you know, you get in, you get a pass. Nowhere in Scripture is that described for us. The book of James talks about it. You say you have faith, but you have no works. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, to say that you believe in Him and that He's your God, but you don't want to live like it, well, then He's not. I could call myself a musician all day long, and my son would be real quick to tell you, but Dad, you ain't. Because you ain't got to... Stop beating your hands, Dad, because you can't drum. You know how I know that? It's because I've been told that. <laughs> I, when I was a youth minister, I used to tell the kids all the time, I said, you know, just because you sleep in a garage don't make you a car. Pretty simple, but yet it's profound. We have a tendency to think, well, if I go to church and if I say the right things and I, I have this proper belief system, then I'm going to get in. Well, no, there's tares among the wheat. Don't you know that there are uh, people filled with demons in churches? <laughs> it started before the apostles died. Um, and Jesus told us that there's going to be what? Tears among the wheat. And you don't start ripping them out until it's time for the harvest. Oh. So could it be that part of this whole process is to weed out the rebels and to get rid of the tares from among the wheat? Hmm. Exactly. So, um, there's two things here that I want you to see. The next one is in verse 12. Where it says, here's a, a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Yeshua. I, do I even need to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward, right? Um, here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and they hold to their, their belief in Christ, in Yeshua, the Messiah. There's a lot of people that want to try to separate that into two groups. It's amazing. You see, because if you believe that the church has replaced Israel, you have to read it that way. There's one big problem. <laughs> in heaven, there's not... The saints or the Israel and then the church. The Apostle Paul made it real clear. We've been grafted into Israel. And why did God birth Israel? He birthed 
Israel to prove that he's God. That's why. And he said, I'm going to put you in the land and you're going to rebel. And then when you rebel, I'm going to scatter you to the four corners of the earth. And not only that, I'm going to divide you into two nations. And I'm going to do something incredible. At the end of time, I'm going to bring you back as a nation so that everybody will know I'm God and I did it. It's going to be so huge, you won't have to try to guess about it. And we've been grafted into that. And here it says that all those, this is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Yeshua. And once again, the only ones we're going to trip over, if you're in the church, you're already keeping the Torah. Not supposedly. Um, let me do that little caveat. <laughs> supposedly. We're supposed to be nice. We're supposed to not be backbiting and speaking evil against one another, right? We're supposed to, uh, you know, read our Bibles and memorize the Scripture and teach them to our kids. We're supposed to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick and the widows and the orphans. And if your neighbor's oxen is in the ditch, we should go get it out and not charge him for it. And just be good people, right? Everybody's sitting here shaking your heads, you know, that's that. That's all straight out of the Torah. The only things that we're going to trip over are those things that we call the ceremonial laws. God never called them that. We called them that so that we can separate them so that we didn't have to do them. <laughs> it's amazing. Those are the only ones we're going to trip over. Um, yet right here, it says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Yeshua. This is also found in Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to go ahead and give you, and some of you are here that have heard me say this before, but I still find it amazing. And most of our uh, theologians will say, well, yeah, those are the Jews that got saved after the church got raptured out of here. That's why it would say that. Isn't that sad? Exactly what rapture? Uh, the rapture was also invented because of replacement theology. It, <laughs> you, you don't find it throughout Scripture. <clears throat> um, let's go on here. In verse 13, it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead, those uh, who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Uh-oh. For their deeds follow them. Huh. Do I need, should I, maybe I should read that again. I'm not making any of this up. I'm just reading it from the scriptures. It says, I heard a voice from saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their what follow them? Yeah, Jan, I'm going to make you join me in this. Their deeds follow them, not their belief system. It's what did you do with it that matters. But pay attention to this. Our deeds follow us.
For how long? What was that? Forever, right? Our deeds are going to follow us forever. You think it might be important to know what the Bible says we ought to be doing and then do it. I'm, that's just a guess on my part, but uh, anybody here have life insurance? Anybody here have car insurance? If you're driving a car, I'm looking around, looking for hands. You have car insurance. Why? In case you need it, in case something goes wrong. And the law requires you have some car insurance. But even life insurance or insurance on your house or whatever, you know, in case you need it, in case something goes wrong, we, we do that, you know. Um, don't you think we ought to have the same uh, preparedness attitude when it comes to heaven? Why in the world do we approach this as though i am just got to have the right belief system, I'm just going to live my life, and then all of a sudden I'm going to end up in heaven, and then everything's going to be okay, and you know, we're just all going to float around, it's not, not going to be any big deal, um, and, and, and forget about it and live our lives here as though our life here doesn't impact there. When we're told in Scripture the exact opposite. And I'll tell you why we live our lives that way is because that's kind of what we've been told. You know, just show up for church, tithe, you know, be a good person, you know, it'll be okay. It's not going to be okay. We need to live our lives in a way that will bring glory and honor to His name. Amen? So, um, anyways, it, it talks about this, uh, this other angel, and he comes out of the temple, and he, uh, he makes all these proclamations that the time for the wrath of God has now come. So the wrath of God is now come, and it has come when? At the last trump. The seventh trumpet. It's within the seventh trumpet, we'll get into it next, that you have the bold judgments of God. Up until now, we haven't seen the wrath of God. What we've seen is God basically saying, oh, you want to worship those other beasts? You want to worship those other gods? You want to play the harlot? Okay, I'll let you have it. I'll let you have what you wanted. I'm going to release them and let you have what you said you wanted. Anybody here ever done that with your kids? Easy. <laughs> oh, that's what you really want? Okay. Because we know different, right, as the parent, when you're dealing with a, you know, a young child. Sometimes you might be thinking, well, my child is old enough to know better now, but I'm still doing that. Uh, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? God is doing the same thing in the book of Revelation up until this point. He's basically saying, okay, so you didn't want to acknowledge me or my word or that I exist, and you didn't want to be decent people. You wanted to be lovers of self and hateful towards your parents and hateful towards law in general. You wanted to just say everything's permissible. Well, guess what? When you say everything's permissible, then everything is permissible, which means chaos, death, 
and destruction. The fence is there to keep the wolves out and keep you safe. It's not there to keep you from having a good time. Does that make sense? And so that's what's been happening up to this point. You tracking with that? It's not until the, the seventh trump, and now we see Jesus, we see Yeshua and these 144,000, we see this massive army, we see these judgments that are about to be proclaimed and the wrath of God that's about to come at the seventh trump. But up until then, it's like, I'm just going to give you what you asked for, and it's not going to be what you thought it was uh, because you didn't want me uh, because He is the one true God. Amen? Well, let's go back to this 144,000 that's the focal point of this chapter, I think. <clears throat> because you have to go, okay, so what is the deal with these 144,000? These 144,000, we saw them earlier, I believe it was in chapter 7, and it talks about how God sealed <clears throat> 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that he sealed them with his name on their forehead and protected them as his first fruits redeemed from mankind. Now we are at the point where God's wrath is about to be poured out, and these 144,000 are with him, worshiping him. Did you notice that it didn't say. 143,000? It didn't say 143,500. How many are there? 144,000. How many were lost throughout that time that we've already been seeing unfolding throughout the book of Revelation until this last trump? Not a trick question. Zero. Not one of them was lost. So you have to go, okay, <clears throat> there's got to be something going on here about these 144,000 other than God decided, you know, I think I'll pick out 144,000 to be mine, kind of special, uh, just kind of to represent um, me saving all of Israel, which that's kind of what you'll, you can read in a number of commentaries. Uh, but I think there's even more to it than that. Once again, there's things that happened in the Old Testament that now we're going to see again, not only in the New Testament, but now even in the book of Revelation. It is absolutely fascinating. Did you know that there was another time when God did something similar to this with the people of Israel? And not one was lost. And, get, and watch this. It was the last battle before they actually went into the promised land. You have to go to Numbers chapter 31. It's Numbers 31 verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> this is God commissioning Moses and then telling him, this is what you're going to do, and then after this you're going to die. <laughs> That's real good news, isn't it? Um, it's throughout this whole chapter, but it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Avenge the people 
of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. That's when he tells him, uh, you need to do this and avenge the people of Israel upon the Midianites, but then after that, you're going to die, dude. Sorry. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to go ahead and come on home. It says, um, Brent, would you do me a favor and go get me a small bottle of water, please? I'd appreciate it. Acid reflux. Not fun. Sorry about that. Um, so it says, uh, So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. You shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So there were provided out of the thousands of Israel a thousand from each tribe. Huh. A thousand from each tribe. Twelve thousand armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Uh, with uh, Eleazar, the priest, with the vessels of the sanctuary, hmm, and the trumpets for the alarm. Hmm. and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. They warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian and the rest of the slain, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Watch this. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. Exactly. Wow. What? Balaam get we we remember when we went through the the books before Revelation, we went through 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude. We kept running across who? Balaam. We keep running across Balaam at the very start of the book of Revelation. What comes up? Balaam. He keeps coming up. Why? Uh, in, in, uh, in the story here, Balaam takes up over three chapters of the Torah. We all know the story about the, donkey, the talking donkey. And we think that's what it's about. It's not about the talking donkey. That's just the weird part of the story that we go... Well, if God can talk through a donkey, surely He can talk through me. Right? Or whatever. And we think it's funny and there's cartoons about it and all that other stuff. We think that's the main point. It's not the main point. The main point about the whole Balaam story was, and we'll go over it again here just very briefly, Balak, the king, tempted, the, uh, the king of, of Midian tempted or, or was trying to buy or hire the prophet Balaam to curse Israel as when they were what? Coming out of Egypt. The first exodus. 
God wouldn't let Balaam do it. But Balaam was greedy. He wanted money, and God knew what was in his heart. That's when he sent the angel to kill him three times. And the donkey kept going a different way until he's crushing his foot. Balaam is beating his donkey, beating the tar out of him. And the donkey turns around and goes, why are you beating me? That'd get your attention. Uh, So Balaam ends up going and he tells the king, he goes, God's not going to let me do it. I can't curse him. But this is what you can do. You need to send your daughters into the camp of Israel and seduce the men and then teach the men to worship your gods. And when you do that, God will have to kill them. And that's exactly what happened. And it says, and 23,000 died when this plague broke out. But one of the priests, one of the men got so angry when this was happening because the elders were revolting and he literally kills one of the men of Israel and one of the daughters of one of the chief priests, one of the leaders of Midian, runs them, runs them both through with a spear through the belly simultaneously because they were doing something in public for all to see. Okay? And through that, and because of his zeal, God stopped the plague. You, you with me now? So the issue was, God said, I'm not going to let you curse them. But Balaam knew, but if I can get them to defy the God of all gods and worship other gods, and mix their worship of him with foreign gods, he'll kill them. What is it that we do in the church today, and we've been doing for a long time, and we publicly say it's okay? We don't even hide it. We don't hide it. It's, I mean, you can go research it yourself that it's okay to take pagan activities and Christianize it and put it in the church. This is Halloween. That one hasn't even been Christianized. Sorry if you're about to decorate and all that other stuff, but it's the devil's holiday. And it's no big deal to have trunk or treat and everything else. Just to get people in the door. That's just Halloween. But we think God's okay with it. He wasn't okay with it then. He's not okay with it now. And when this stuff starts to unravel, everybody's going to have to make a decision. Am I going to surrender my life wholeheartedly to the one and only true God 
who created heaven and earth and all the seas and everything that's in it, who was and is and is to come and will be what he wants to be when he wants to be it, or do I actually think he's okay to say that he's no different than all the other gods? He's on equal footing with all the others, and it's okay to mix this stuff. That he's fine with that. And if we continue to say he's fine with it, he's going to say, okay, I'm going to give you what you, what you wanted. And if you go so far as to take the image of the beast... You're not even getting in. Forever. So, it says that when this happened, when they... You think God had him do this just by accident? He goes, I want you to get a thousand from each tribe. And you're going to go do something and you're going to avenge my people on these Midianites. What is it that we've already seen these saints are asking God, how long, O Lord, are you going to wait to what? Avenge our blood, those of us who have been killed for you. Right? These 144,000 are a duplication of this event because I want you to see something that's absolutely amazing. Because these 12,000 went after a massive, unbeatable army. Five kings. You have to go all the way to verses 48 and 49. This is after it's all over. It says, then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, came near to Moses and said to Moses, your servants have counted the men for war who were under our command there, and there is not a man missing among us. Not one. It's the same story. It's just that this time now it's global. It's not just Israel coming out of Egypt, but it's God's children coming out of the wilderness of the peoples where He has scattered us to the four winds of the earth. And it says that at at this time when this happens, He's going to whistle The people that know him will respond. And he says, and I will call you out into the wilderness of the peoples where I have scattered you. And while you're in the wilderness of those peoples, I'm going to come with you and I'm going to judge between me and you face to face. And I will purge the rebels out from among you. What's he going to be doing? Getting rid of the tares from among the wheat. And these 144,000 are a picture of absolute completeness of what He's already done once before with His people. So if He's done it once before, can He do it again? 
when we're going through this time of this tribulation period, should you and I be worried about anything? Actually, no. But who is it that you would want to be by your side? I want one of them guys in my back pocket. Right? If they're going to make it all the way through, they're there with him because when you get down into chapter 15, this is where I thought we might get here. Let's go ahead and look at this real quick. It's not, Matthew doesn't have it back there, but it's in chapter 15. It's just the first three verses. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. Yet the a sea of glass mingled with fire. And why is he describing that? Because he's describing something in heaven that we don't have an actual correlation to. And it says, and also, also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. These are those that have gone through this tribulation period and conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. Everybody's so scared about the 666 and taking the mark of the beast. When that mark is taken, you're going to know what you're doing. You know, is it going to be a, uh, a, a chip? Probably. That'd be my guess. Uh, it could be as simple as the banner that ISIS wears on their hands and forehead. It's possible. Uh, you will have to swear allegiance. And if you don't have this mark, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. Anything. That's going to make it pretty hard to eat. That's going to make it pretty hard to buy your gasoline. That's going to make it pretty hard to buy your shampoo. No, seriously. I don't even say that to be joking. I mean, three and a half years? of uh, getting kind of stinky? Three and a half years of, I don't know, eating manna again? I mean, anybody here other than me, you eat something 15 times, and you're like, if I have to eat that again, I'm just going to throw up. Right? And you just want, you know, can we just go get pizza tonight instead of, I mean, I've had hamburgers four times this week. I want to go eat pizza, right? Well, we can complain when we've got a thousand things to choose from. What if after it's been three and a half years, and just like Israel goes, we're going to have to eat manna again? I mean, for crying out loud, manna this, manna that, manna, manna, manna. And you understand that manna means what is it? They didn't know what it was they were eating. And they complained. This will not be a good time to be complaining. Right? 
Unless you're banking on a pre-trib rapture. And if that works out, hallelujah, then I prepared for nothing. <laughs> I bought my insurance and I didn't have a wreck. Uh, <clears throat> I just don't think it's there. I don't think you can find it. Uh, so this 144,000 are really important. They're playing a, a big role. And I want you to notice also in that story of Balaam, who was it that went with them? The, the son of the priest. And did you notice also what he took? This is weird. They're going into battle. They're going into battle against insurmountable odds. Uh, Phineas, Eleazar's son. And he takes with him vessels from the tabernacle. What? And he also takes what? Makes mention of this specifically. The vessels were not told specifically which ones. All I mean, he couldn't take them all. It's only, all we know is that it's probably just one. Maybe he had some attendants going with him. We're not told that. It says that the son of the priest goes with them. And he takes with him vessels from the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is a reflection of heaven. The tabernacle in heaven. What is it that we're just looking at here? The 144,000 with Yeshua, worshiping him and singing a song before him, praising him on Mount Zion. And Phineas takes also with him a trumpet. We're told he takes a trumpet for an alarm. Who do you think he was probably warning? <laughs> He's not warning his people. It's just like when they went and destroyed Jericho and they took what? Trumpets. When Gideon was fighting, they took what? Trumpets. Is the ram's horn, the shofar, the closest human, the closest sound we humans can make to resemble the voice of God? When he spoke from Mount Sinai, it says that it sounded like the trumpet of the horns, getting louder and louder and louder when they heard him. And that's why it scared the tar out of them when they could hear God speaking in their own ears and their heart, and it, yet it sounded like a shofar, but they understood the words. And it scared them. Kind of sounds like Pentecost. And they heard them speaking in their own languages, and they thought, this is not possible. I hear him talking with his Roy City accent. And he's from France. It doesn't work. And it, they were like, I don't understand. <clears throat> he takes a trumpet. And this is at the last trumpet. None of this is by accident. It's all here to tell us something. No matter how bad it gets, God loves you and it's going to be okay. If we are true to Him. 
if we truly love Him. If we truly love Him. Not that we just say we love Him and we actually believe that He exists, but we truly love Him and we are committed to Him. We are committed to Him even if He, even if he asks us to look totally different than the rest of the world. Now, why would He ask us to do that? Because He's different. <laughs> That's why it says we are to let our light shine so that people could see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven is supposed to be glorified by our actions, not our belief system or our statement of faith. But by our actual actions that we actually love God and we want people to understand that He loves them and is providing a way of escape for them. But if they are obstinate and choose to live like the world and take on the world's system and swear allegiance to the world, then God will say, no problem. You're just not coming to my house. You see, God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to go. And hell is the only place God doesn't exist. He created everything, and He also created a special place for Satan and the demons and the fallen angels and those that want to follow them. This is where you can go where I will not be. You want to live your life for all of eternity without me? Not a problem. Your choice. I'm not going to force you to go. It is your choice. If that's where you want to go, fine. And if those are, the, those are the gods you want to worship, fine. And I'll let you have them forever. You just need to understand, I'm not ever going to be there. Ever. It's a done deal. Ever. And you, you get this life to choose. Because what? Our deeds follow us. So the book of Revelation, although it is filled with a lot of strange things, it's filled with a lot of death and destruction and angels coming with these sickles and you've got locusts and serpents and stinging people and demons and dragons and stuff going on, you know, and this beast coming out of the pit. We've talked about him. Uh, pretty confident we know what he is. Uh, we know where he came from. We know who's in the pit. So therefore, if he came out of the pit, we should know what he is. Uh, he's one of the watchers. Um, you got all this weird stuff going on, and God goes, look, <clears throat> I'm shaking the world in the same way that I shook Egypt when I brought Israel out. But you know what happened when Israel came out? It says a mixed multitude came out with them. They were not all Israelites. So salvation happened for those others within Egypt that saw God working and they went, we want to go with you. Because it's obvious that the gods of Egypt are not God and it's obvious that your God is God. So 
we may not know his name or whatever, but we want to go with you. And they did. And there was a mixed multitude that went out with them and were there with Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai. When God said, these are my laws, and their response was, everything that we have heard you say, we will believe it, we will live it, and we will do it and be obedient. And they moved into a literal marriage contract with God at that moment. And they became His special people for the purpose of being a light to the nations so that the world would know that that God is God. And that's why He's still using them today. That's why He will continue to use them. And that's why when He comes back, He's going to come back to Jerusalem. It's not an issue over the Israelites being uh, a better group of people than the rest of the world. They are a group of people that God said, I'm going to use them to prove that I'm God. And I'm going to let you join me in this love story if you want. But it's your choice. Um, I think this is an absolutely fascinating study and I, I hope it's helpful for you. I hope, I hope it's encouraging and I hope we'll get away from trying to figure out, well, who's the Antichrist? Uh... Which ones are the, which kingdom is the ten-headed kingdom with the horns and, and all that stuff and the head that was hit with the sword and lived and is that Gorbachev or not and all that other weird stuff? You'll know. It, it will be obvious. There's one thing you can look for. The treaty that will happen. If it hasn't already happened, it could have already happened actually behind the scenes because it says this treaty will be strengthened. It, it, it doesn't necessarily say that it will come into being at this time. So it could have already happened. But whatever will happen that will allow them to uh, start the sacrifices again. If you see that the sacrifices have started and you haven't gotten a phone call from me, then you need to call me because I haven't seen it yet. That should have got some kind of response because I'm looking. Uh, and so at that point, you know, that's when you if you don't already have a bug out bag or something. Um, if you wait until the sacrifices are stopped, it's it's too late. It's going and it will only happen for, I think, days, maybe a month, maybe if it might last a month. But uh, those sacrifices will start <clears throat> and, and then it will stop. And when it stops, that's the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet that Yeshua and I, that Yeshua told you and I we should be looking for. Remember that in Matthew 24? He said, you know, when you see the abomination of spoken of by Daniel the prophet, those of you in Judea flee. I was talking to you about that the other day. Those of you in Judea flee. And Judea is the West Bank. Simple question. Why would God, why would Jesus tell us to look for that if we're not going to be here? Kind of a simple question. Doesn't make sense. I mean, if we're going to get raptured out of here, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you think he'd say, hey, everybody, when I zap all of my believers out of here and planes are crashing and clothes are falling down out of the sky, that's your sign that I'm really God. And then you'll have a, a short window to repent. Don't, and don't you think that would be a pretty powerful prophecy and everybody would be waiting for that to happen 
He didn't say that. Why? He's got to have the harvest to get the tares out from among the wheat and purify the wheat and make sure we really do love him. <laughs> um, and so he's going to have this next exodus. And we're all going to be a part of it. Those of us that are ready.